Yesterday, uh, I had to sew a button on, and uh, I'm not very good at that. I got the sewing kit out, and uh, I got that done. And when I went to that place the next day, I, uh, I found that the Lord gave me a little lesson in what Good Friday is all about. I stepped on something, something I dropped when I was sewing that button on. I brought it, I forgot to bring it at two o'clock. See this? It didn't go in this way, it went in sideways. Um, and I, of course, I, it was my fault. I, did, I would never have stepped on that on purpose. But uh, if you look at the cross we're going to bring up shortly, it's got very large nails in it. And Jesus voluntarily allowed this to occur to him. And it wasn't like this. It went all the way through his foot, through both feet, until he died. And we have to remember that Jesus did this voluntarily. If you look at the beginning of the gospel, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas knew where Jesus would go. Remember, he left before the Passover was finished. He had something to do. Jesus said, go quickly. But he knew where they would go next. The Gospel of John is very clear. The disciples knew the place well. Jesus had often gone there. It was an olive orchard in a very prominent location and private. The uh, holy cart above me, I, I picked up myself at Gethsemane uh, quite a few years ago, and, the, and the, it's hard to see the rock there, but that's the one that tradition says Jesus threw himself over. There's only one large rock like this in that area. Jesus came there, as he often did with his disciples. He voluntarily allowed himself to be nailed. And we know this, especially John makes it clear, that when he asks the question, who are you looking for, they all fell back. See, God can't be taken unless he wants to. He voluntarily made himself vulnerable. And he does the same thing in our lives, where we often put him on trial, one way or another. And he voluntarily submits himself to this in order that we might gain, that we might learn, that we might love. And love is always a risk, even for God. The risk of rejection for us and for God. Um, one imagines this, this scene, this first part of the gospel, that we, we know it's coming. We've heard it so often. But here we have the, probably the 11 disciples. There may have been others with them. Those that had prepared the Passover perhaps went with them and prayed at a distance. They did not know this would be the night of the betrayal. Jesus said it was coming. And what do they see coming? Two groups of individuals allied together. Two that are normally enemies of each other. The temple guards, the ones that, that supported the high priest and protected the holy places, one scary group of people. 
not Caiaphas, not Annas, but their delegates, in case something went wrong, they wouldn't come themselves. They wouldn't be associated with this. Not directly. They were behind it. And then you have the, a Roman garrison, the occupying enemy. They've come also. They come with torches and lights and weapons. Imagine Jesus. All these, they come with all these weapons. He ends up being bound and let off. But before that, he looks at this crowd approaching him. It's almost amusing. Imagine all those people. And Jesus makes it clear to them that he has, he has the power. He's just not using it. He says, who are you looking for? They, he knows perfectly well what they're looking for. Caiaphas is looking to kill him. The rest are obeying orders. What is Judas looking for? We don't know. We do know that a couple of days later, he hung himself. It's very sad, isn't it? What did the disciples think when they saw Judas with that crowd? Jesus, God on trial. It's chilling. Who are you looking for? This question is the one that John asks throughout the gospel. Who are you looking for? What are you looking for? See, Jesus is going to be taken to the judgment seat, the place where criminals were tried and acquitted or condemned. He's going before the, the Supreme Court. The whole Sanhedrin will get together in league with the Romans whom they requested to kill him because they could not. And Jesus standing on the judgment seat. Here is the creator of the world. Here is the savior of the world. He is on trial by humanity. In a specific time, in a specific place, they didn't know who he was. They did know he was innocent. He was any man. But he was God in disguise. So when we look at this gospel then, last night at Holy Thursday in the evening when I was praying, I couldn't help think about the fact that each of us, I, I hung on that phrase, who are you looking for? Because I think that our Lord, each of us individually will be at that judgment seat. While we live, this is the time of mercy. Good Friday begins for many of us the novena of mercy. However you wish to follow that, it continues through Mercy Sunday. As long as we live, God is not here to judge us but to save us, but we do have to ask. We Sometimes we have to ask forgiveness. We have to show faith. If we reject him in the final rejection, Jesus is our judge, and he, will, he himself will be on the judgment seat as the judge. What are his credentials? That he was tried and condemned, and he was innocent. And he was God. I had an interesting book here. I have made reference to this before, but it's got a couple of really good lines in it. Return from Tomorrow by George Ritchie. This man at the age of 20 had a near-death experience. I wanted to share with you some of the dialogue that he writes in this book. I think it took a lot of courage to write this book. Um, he didn't have a very good experience with Jesus, but he got a chance to start over. And he found himself at 20, at the threshold of death, and our Lord was there. And the Lord asked him a question. He said, 
what did you do with your life? This is a 20-year-old. I don't know what I did with my life at 20, but I wouldn't have been enough time, do you think? And he said, to, he said to the Lord, I became an Eagle Scout. The Lord was not impressed with this. I, I'm very impressed with that. I only got up to life. <laughs> you know, I didn't make it to an Eagle Scout. The Lord said, that glorified you. What did you do for me? What did you do for others? That's what I'm concerned about. All at once, a rage at the question itself built up inside of me. It's not fair. Of course I haven't done anything with my life. I was only 20. How can you judge a person that hasn't started? The Lord seemed to say to me, death can come at any time. I did not promise you a long life. What did you do with the precious years that you were given? That's what I want to know. Our Lord himself had only 33 years, remember? Any of you gotten beyond that? What have you done with the precious years of your life? Now it's, we're the ones, the roles are going to reverse here. He said, somebody should have told me. It's like coming to the, the final exam and not knowing the questions. Why didn't you tell me this man had gone to church? He had not listened. And the Lord said to him, but I did tell you. I told you by the life I lived. I told you by the death I died. I told you how to live and the value of life. Jesus voluntarily gave himself out of love for someone else. That is the meaning of life. Jesus sacrificed himself as an example for us. We, all of us know this is the highest form of living. Our Lord today offers us his love. He voluntarily allowed himself to be taken, though he did not have to. He chose 12 men, one of whom deeply rejected him. All of them ran away. All but one returned. He put himself on the judgment seat. And in a sense, all of us, though we did not live then, participated in the judgment of God. Now it's our turn to live. The Lord asks us to accept his mercy, his offer of forgiveness, his offer of salvation. One day God will ask us the same questions, I'm sure. I gave you this number of years to live. What did you do with your life? Because I showed you how to live by the way I lived and by the way that I died.